Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Ramblers, let's get rambling. of my podcast, a home intelligent rambling right here on the Talk Show Network and one of the longest running single hosted pop culture podcasts in Ontario. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Russell Hale. And we've got a great show lined up for you today as we cover a number of things on the program. Before we get into today's show, I did want to talk about something at the top of this show that I, I did have a chance over the between the last show and now to check out the all six episodes of Ms. Marvel, because I do try to keep up with the Marvel shows uh, on TV for you guys, just to give you my take on it. And prior to this, I only knew a little bit about Ms. Marvel. I, I played her in the Avengers game, Graphic Audio, a while back, did a great adaptation, audio adaptation of her, you know, of the, the origin of the character. And so I was like, I was curious to see why they would do some live action. And early on, they revealed that when they were going to do the show, that her her powers, right? And in the com in the comics and even in the auto adaptation, her powers are stretchy powers, right? She can grow and stretch and do all that kind of thing. And I guess people were worried that even though, you know, we've barely seen anything of Mr. Fantastic, I guess they were worried that, oh, you know, we don't want to just give her stretchy powers because she'd be too much of Mr. Fantastic. I argue, and I've argued this before. They're two completely separate personality types. They would not use the stretchy powers the same way. Exactly. Why can't she have stretchy powers? So the workaround they've done with this, at least for now, is that in this story, um, Kamala Khan discovers a an old bangle, which is like a bracelet, kind of an oversized bracelet, that, uh, that was passed down through her family. And in... And, 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 Playing around with this bandit, uh, bandit, this bangle, it unlocks powers in her that that she has to learn how to control. And these sparkly, almost Green Lantern-y powers that they don't make a construct allows her to create these weird kind of light platforms, and it does allow her to stretch and grow her body. So that does work in it. Although you clearly tell they're under a budget. Because other than the first episode, and I swear little bits in between, and the last, she barely uses her powers. It's very sparing. It's very sparse. It's very negligible. And and instead of, you know, kind of throwing in a lot of Marvel Easter eggs here and there, 
they do a little bit of it. But other than that big Avengers con at the beginning and a really good finale, a lot of it is like, let's, let's watch the History Channel. Let's learn about the great, uh, the great partition that happened in India and Pakistan way back in the day. So it becomes almost like a History Channel lesson. And especially the fifth episode. Wait, a fourth and the fifth. It's like, I'm going to get back to being a superhero show anytime soon. Now, granted, the sixth episode is great. There's a huge payoff for it. And the, the last few minutes of the episode, including a really good post-credits theme, theme or post-credit sequence, really set things up for Ms. Marvel movie coming out in a few months from now. I think maybe next year. Because th there's a scene near the end where Bruno mentions a word to her. A word which in the MCU has pretty much, they've been dancing around with a certain theme song. I, I want to say, but I want to keep spoiler free. That that they throw out there and then there's an appearance at the end by character that really it's like come on let's go let's bring on Ms. Marvel I want to see where this goes and something happens with Kamala and let's just say I think her and other characters switch places some people will argue, oh, no, she, they, she changes into this character. I'm not going to say who. I say bogus. I say her and this other character swap places. And if they did, Kamala's in a lot of trouble. And she's going to need rescuing come the Ms. Marvel movie. And there's a lot of evidence, if you really watch that scene, to think that. And it wasn't she changed she you know changed into that character I think Kamala went on a trip <laughs> so you can be the judge but uh, I think she did a little switcheroo with somebody else and yeah <laughs> Let's see. there's been no announcement of a second season uh, because really, the literally the ending of this season goes right into the the Marvels movie coming out soon. So we'll we'll see how that goes. As the show goes, I found at first the actress, the character of Kamala was a was a mean little brat who was really cruel to her parents uh, early on when they tried to compromise with her. She pretty much said, "No, you're gonna embarrass me." And I felt like reaching through the screen and shaking her. Her as a character grew as the story six episodes got, but it got so convoluted and so like crazy. It's like, okay, whatever. And what, <laughs> and what they, they, what happens to her high school at the end of it? It's like, boy, you, you guys know how to make a mess. Like a reality that'd be like, you know how much damage you caused to the school? Uh, but there's a nice heartfelt moment when it comes to the community and, and what happens with her that I thought was nice. Overall, uh, a lot of filler, 
my in in very much falls into why I talk when I talk about Moon Knight in that an interesting start, a great end, but in the middle, that's where a lot of it was lost. And I think they got to really start tightening up things a bit in the MCU because, ooh, things I've heard about Thor: Love and Thunder. Uh, I will reserve my judgment till I see it, but. Phase four is is not turning out the way I think they wanted it to be. And we'll leave that at that for now. I'm going to start things off review-wise with going back to the universe of Star Trek, but the animated universe this time with the DVD review of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2 on DVD, courtesy of Paramount Home Entertainment, where we can catch up with the crew of the Cerritos in animated form. Then we go from the space of Star Trek to the jungle with a brand new movie, courtesy again of Paramount Home Entertainment on Blu-ray, and that is The Lost City, starring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum in this kind of buddy adventure, very romancing the stone vibes. Then we go from those two in the jungle to the streets of Gotham City, with the Blu-ray review of the third and final season of Batwoman, courtesy of Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. And then we go from the Mean Streets of Gotham to more animated action with the 4K Blu-ray mirror review of The Bad Guys, courtesy of Universal Home Entertainment. And still looking to get a winner on that giveaway. And if you listened to the last show, I laid it all out there. And I'd still like to give away one, you know, I have two copies to give away to somebody in the lovely country. I live in Canada, so listen to the last show and the clues for that will be there. That's all in this edition of Ramble with Russell. So we're going to take a little musical interlude right up with the first review of the show. TV show on DVD review for this episode is Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2, courtesy of Paramount Home Entertainment. Now, this is the second season of the show, and, and I'll admit, Ramblers, I didn't get a chance to really catch the first one. I'd heard about it, but, you know, up until the second season came to me, I, you know, didn't really check it out. So I, I, did, I did go back and go through the first season, and I did go through before I watch the second, just to get a feel of the characters. This show is done by people who really like the the old school Trek. And this is like Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and, and that era of Trek, really. This is almost like a love letter to it, animated-wise. Even the fonts for the... For the for the graphics, like the title cards, are very much next generation. Now, <laughs> what's interesting for me is prior to a few years ago, before I met my wife, I was this casual Star Trek fan. Like I say, I you know I watched movies here and there. I watched the odd episode of the original series here and there, and maybe you know some of the um, the other stuff. But I you know I didn't know as much as I know now, and because of my wife, I know a lot more about Star Trek than I ever did before. Because she watches it practically every day. And, you know, when you your spouse watches things every day, you kind of pick up on things. And because of that, a lot of these, uh, these, these episodes in this 10-episode series 
are referencing stuff that I've actually knew about. Like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that episode. Now, there were some things that were like right out there. And I went, I don't remember, but I haven't seen those episodes yet. But the you can tell the, the creators really liked the old show. I mean, they really had, you know, a fondness for it. Now, keep in mind, I know when this show first aired, right? There were a lot of like super hardcore Trekkies and Trekkers. Some of them have YouTube channels out there that watched the show and had a hiss of it. Man, they were like, you know, oh, it's all about the member berries. It's all about, you know, they're, they're feeding off of nostalgia. Yada, 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 yada. And they dumped on it severely. And I thought, oh, you know what? You're entitled to your opinion, but I want to check it out myself. So keep in mind, this is coming from a guy who, you know, up until, you know, a few years ago, I, I'd seen a few, but I never had seen as many as I had now. And one of my, one of my complaints about Discovery, although it's a super pretty show, <laughs> and, you know, we've talked about Discovery in this sh show, Ramblers, is that... It's, it's probably the best-looking sci-fi show. One of them out there, like especially in the high definition. Lord mighty people, it's a gorgeous show. But the some of the characters, like Michael Burnham, oi, she is just... <laughs> they write her in a way that really doesn't make her that appealing. <laughs> and 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 it's it's not... It's, it's, it's like... It never felt much like a continuation of those older shows like next generation Voyager deep space nine and even enterprise for that matter. It, it, it always felt like it's like, you know, we will take bits of this from this, but we're not going to, uh, but, but it has, has a different feel, uh, if you will, you know, compared to those older shows and this show it really, there's a lot, it does feel like, you know, like like Next Generation, some of those older programs, but they're the humor there. I, it, I'm not going to say it goes like to Family Guy levels, you know, where it's like, I, I can try to watch Family Guy, and I swear. And that show just makes me wince, and I can only stand so much of it. And and this show kind of skirts the edges, Lower Decks does, of that kind of humor. It doesn't go all in. I mean, it's a lot of times you have to watch Lower Decks and not be easily offended. You cannot be uh, a Star Trek purist and go, oh, look, you know, they're making fun of this and they're making fun of that and yada, 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 yada. But it does give you a look into, uh, obviously, a part of Trek lore that they really did not really explore that much. And that's the lower, like, not the main bridge crew. We've seen a lot for that. But the, kind of the the lower end of the ship, and this is, of course, set on the USS Cerritos, uh, which is, you know, more of a workhorse kind of ship. It's not a big, you know, Enterprise or Voyager class. It's more of a lower class of ship. And 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 I found the show quite enjoyable, really. The, 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 the One of the main characters in this one is the character... Of um of Ensign Mariner, uh, of Beckett Mariner, who uh in a lot of ways kind of reminds me of 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 um 
on Michael Burnham, but it's Michael Burnham if 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 you if you um it's Michael Burnham if you kind of made her with a sense of humor <laughs> in a way. If she wasn't as serious, didn't just cry out of nowhere, that kind of thing. So the character of her is played by um, Tawny Newsom, And I, you know, she, a lot of times she comes off as an overbearing know-it-all and like, you know, I know, oh, I've, I've, I've done this before and I've done that before. But there's there's a part of her that, that that's more likable than Michael Burnham, really. And your other cast are the character of Ensign Brad Bormer, who's played by Jack Quaid. You have Ensign Devana Tendi, who is an Orion, played by Noelle Wells. And then your other kind of main lore decker kind of cast is, is Ensign Samantha Rutherford, played by Eugene Cordero. And 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 it's it's a nice little tight little crew when it comes to that. And and throughout the first season, and I did watch the first, and I will, I'll talk briefly about it, it does set things up a lot for the second. Uh, and and it, you actually have, in both of these seasons, a lot of character growth, growth in it. And that's nice to see, because a lot of shows don't have that. And I, I you know, it's... it's and, and all these episodes are, though they're mostly quite standalone, they they are <laughs> separate in some ways. And even the opening title sequence, like the, the theme song is like a classic Trek theme song. Although the visuals accompany it are very much tongue-in-cheek uh, when it comes to that. And and you even have Jerry O'Connell as, 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 as one of the commanders, Jack Ransom. And this is a, you hear this voice and you don't, it's, it's weird to picture that's Jerry doing the, doing the voice work. And and overall, the design I like the the animation of it. it. It's it's there, but it's not like overtly gross. It's not like Whoa, you know it it it's really offensive kind of thing, and that's cool uh, when it comes to that. It's it's it's, it's clean animation, and I appreciate that. And and the, you can tell me the roots took in the details to kind of give that feel. The, the timeline wise. This is a show that's set, say, uh, after the Next Generation movies, but before the Picard show. So right in that little sweet spot, timeline-wise, that's where it is. And it does feature quite a few guest casts in this one. And a lot of them are from, like, specific episodes of Next Generation. You're like... Oh, okay. It's 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 that. It's like we'll take this character, which maybe was like shown like briefly in Next Generation, and then we'll make then we'll advance him in time and do stuff. And the music, the score on it is really good. It, it's so much that era to it. And and there's a, like a big secret with with when it comes to uh, Mariner at the start of the first season, and by the end of the first season, that kind of gets out, and then we have the repercussions of it. In the second and the second season, much like so many episodes of TNG, which people are really mad about, ends in a huge cliffhanger, a, a giant blue to be continued, which many Next Generation fans hated. 
uh, they, they do that just as a big T. So that's cool. So I'm really curious to see where they go season three. There's a lot of character development and there's a lot of guest voices in this, in this show. And that's kind of neat. Uh, one of them that, that has, you know, uh, that appears in more than one episode is the voice of, of Jonathan Frakes as Riker. And this is Riker with the Titan. So we actually get to see an animated Titan, which I don't think that ship has ever been put on screen yet before. This is like your first representation of the Titan, which they based off of the images that have been on the novels. Um, so, and, and it's Frank's really having fun. He's done a lot of voice work in the past. I still love him to this day in Gargoyles that if you have not ever watched Gargoyles, that is a great show featuring Frank's as a character and a lot of STNG cast members appear in Gargoyles. Honest. So that is worth checking out that way. Uh, so he plays a role in, in the second season and there's something that happens to Boimer, which is very next generation. And that makes me think that we'll be seeing maybe more of Riker in season three. I hope so. So that's cool. And, and even Frakes even does commentary on the episode he's in. So that's neat. It's, it's, it's nice to see like episode commentary on TV shows that in the last few years, except for animated stuff, nobody really does anymore. I mean, it's like, come on. I mean, the only one time you're, you usually see auto commentary on, on stuff. Usually is animated programs, very little live action anymore. Ugh. So, so it does. end on a, really big cliffhanger. And, and, and I, I find it interesting the, 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 the relationship between Beckett Mariner and her mother, who, who are, are the, the captain on the show. That, that, that's kind of cool. I like how they did that dynamic in it. And it's, it's very much, you know, has a spirit next generation. Like I said, there's some purists who hate lower decks, like some hardcore Trekkies and, and just, you know, think it makes fun of everything, and it's just, oh, it's not my track, and it uses old track for nostalgia. And maybe it's because I don't have as much invested in it. Maybe, you know, I've grown an appreciation for it over the last few years, but it's not like, that's part of my childhood you're messing with. You know, would I feel differently about other shows? Maybe, you know, but for me, it's, the nice kind of side chapter into the Trek first. I love quotes on this because this one is full of quotes. Hilarious and inspiring by an AV by AV club. So maybe from high school. Fun by IGN. Near perfect from Denny Geek. I I don't want to say near perfect, but it's it's Trek, just animated Trek. And and said lots of and these references in these episodes it covers all old Trek. We're talking original series. We're talking Next Generation. We're talking Enterprise, and even Deep Space Nine, all referenced in one way, shape, or form. So that's cool. And and there's also another uh, past uh, Star Trek uh, crew member from another ship that guest stars in this episode as well. So you have Tom Paris. Just good stars uh, in, in this show. And it's kind of cool. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, this could be like, I don't know if he's done any work. Like maybe the first work he's done in a long time doing the voice work for this program. So that's cool. 
overall, uh, uh, a fun show. It, it will make you care about the characters. If you don't, that's your choice, but it is what it is. What I did, I said, I, I hinted on before, and I'll talk about this more now, is special features of this. You have, in total, including the audio commentaries, over an hour of special features on this disc. And that's not bad, because... You know, Ramblers, special features lately have been lackluster in a lot of things. And it's nice to see that people are still putting effort into it. You get commentary on not one, but four episodes of this 10-episode season on two DVDs. You get an episode commentary on the Kayshawn, His Eyes Open, um, with 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 Frakes, as well as Mike McCann and Jack Quaid. You also get commentary on the the on episode five, as well on episode seven and on episode nine. Although I wish they'd done commentary on episode ten. That's like, come on. The two things, two places you should always have commentary is on the first and least the last episode of a season. So that's just, that's me being nitpicky, but that's the way it is. In addition to that, those commentaries, in each episode, and I like how they did the menus. It's very next generation the way they did the menus. Because I have a few next generation discs because my wife. Um, you have animatics for each episode as well as Easter eggs. This is a small, short little featurette where, you know, it gets introduced by the, the voice actors of the show. And they said, hey, did you spot this Easter egg? in this episode and it, and and it goes like oh this is the reason why we did this and some facts behind it even some footage from older trek shows so it's like yeah that was an easter egg to that and they do that for every episode which is kind of cool uh so that is neat and you also get a sound foundation this is a nice featurette where they talk about how they went to painstaking effort to make all the sounds in this show authentic. And yeah, from the from the ship sounds to the computer effects to all that kind of stuff, it sounds like Star Trek to me. I mean, they really did a good job on that. Uh, although I really have to take my wife to watch this because she's the sound aficionado when it comes to this. Uh, you also get a lower, lower de deck... Dictionary season two. So this is a nice like 30 minute recap of the season where you not only hear from the, the producer, you also hear from the voice actors and some of the crew about this second season. They go over the story arcs and stuff. And that's kind of cool. Uh, I do appreciate that. And, and that's what you get for extras. So not bad for a show. I'm really curious to see where they go the third season with it. They, they, it's quite a cliffhanger and um, and it'd be interesting to see if it's a, you know, like one or two episodes to get out of it or if it's a whole, you know, third season story arc thing that they're going with. I don't know. Uh, overall, it does look good. I did play this on my HDTV and even for DVD because, you know, they kind of upscale things. It looks great. Uh, and probably with right even better, but it's a show that is worth checking out. After I've gotten this set, this physical copy of season two, I'm very tempted now to track down a physical copy of season one, just for the extras and the little stuff alone. Because if they, they put the same amount into it, I'm a completist, so I might need to find that. So if you're a fan of of Star Trek, you'll you know. <laughs> 
don't take it too serious. That's probably my my biggest thing to it. If you're a Trekkie or Trekker, treat this as an homage to that past error. Don't be easily offended and just let it go and enjoy it for what it is. And it, it's definitely worth checking out season one before season two because you really get to see the character kind of growth uh, come through and in, in from season one to season two, it really it, it shows it there, and you know, I for what it is, it it definitely works for me. So that is my take of Star Trek Lower Decks season two on DVD, courtesy of the great folks at Paramount Home Entertainment.
my Blu-ray movie review for this episode is The Lost City, courtesy of Paramount Pictures Home Entertainment. Now, this is a a, a kind of, I, I guess we'd call a jungle adventure comedy starring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. In this movie, uh, Sandra Bullock plays a romance writer, and Channing Tatum is kind of <laughs> her cover model. And she is, you know, it starts off where she's, you know, trying to finish off uh, a new novel. She's just starting a book tour, and she's kind of lost the the writing spirit, if you will. And and they establish really that she had a, a, a husband who was kind of her inspiration, and since he died, it's kind of... Um, put her on the dumps, like on, on a depression wise. So she's trying to work through that. She's at, so the movie starts off. She's at a, um, she's at like a book signing for her latest book where, where Alan is, where their covered, um, guy is there. And this has been after many books and, and they, they put her in, You'll see this on the cover art when I put it on on when I tweeted it out tweet this episode out. They put her in this pink jumpsuit, which is like imagine imagine April O'Neil from the Turtles, okay? And her outfit was pink and sequined, and had a big V neck down in her front. That that's kind of <laughs> and so her agent says, okay. We're going to put you in this. Beth, played by Div uh, Divine Joy Randolph, says, okay, for this book signing, uh, we're going to put you in this outfit. And from the book signing, she kind of gets, you know, um, kidnapped, if you will, by Daniel Radcliffe, of all people, uh, who plays Abigail. Yeah, that's his name. Fairfax, who is this wealthy... What rich guy, generic rich guy, who wants to use Sandra Bullock's counter, Loretta's knowledge, to help find a, a fabled lost treasure. Because in one of her books, she was able to decipher something that nobody else was able to do. So, so he kind of kidnaps her, and this leads the character, um, Alan, played by Channing Tatum, to try to rescue her and he, in this role, oh, he plays uh, uh, a good-hearted, slow-witted kind of dude. So so he sets off to rescue her, and, and at the very start of the movie, enlists the, 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 the aid of one of his trainers, <laughs> called Jack Trainer. if you're serious about that, played by Brad Pitt. Now you're thinking, oh, this is going to be Brad Pitt in the whole movie? No. He's briefly in the start, and but his role is really an extended cameo. So for all you're looking for a big Brad kind of picture, not it. Uh, when it comes to that, it's it's mostly Sandra and Channing, and Radcliffe and them kind of playing off each other. Divine Joy, Randolph as Beth, she's in <laughs> in it a lot, but she's kind of playing the stereotype, and it's very much a. Um, adventure comedy. It, it reminds me, and I meant to watch it before I reviewed this, but just don't have time. Reminds me shades of, you know, Romancing the Stone or Jewel in the Nile. That kind of, you have two people together. At first, they're like, why are you around me? And then, then things grow as the adventure continues. Now, 
casting wise for this movie. I haven't seen Sandra Bullock in in quite a while. For the, for the most part, if you look back at her career, she was like so busy in the eighties and nineties. At one point in her career, and I'm not kidding, folks, and you can look her up your own self. She was so busy between between uh, like the 80s and the 90s. Like you look back at her career, and I'm totally serious about this. Between say 87 and maybe like 89 when she started, from 89 up until I'm gonna say about say 2005, she was. So busy, she was pumping out four to five movies a year. Boom, 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 boom. But around 2005 or so, she did get married, did have a couple of kids, although the language didn't last. And that's when you see she started to not be as heavy hitting with like four or five movies out in a year. Like at 2005, she had two movies, uh, Lover Boy and Miss Congeniality, duh, two. And then from there, it was only, she was only like two years. She did like um, The Lake House, 2006, Infamous, 2006, then did only one movie, 2007, Premonition, then Proposal, 2009, then she got a little busy, 2009, doing that, all about Steve and the Blind Side. And then she started to pick things up a little bit. One movie, 2011. She started, did three in 2013. She's starting to pick up her career again a little bit because in, in 2015, she did two. 18, she did two. And then a bit of a gap until she had, did The Unforgivable in 2021. Then this movie. And then, of course, Bullet Train. Uh, that uh, Also coming out this year, too, with Brad Pitt. So this is like back-to-back now. She's, she'll have movies coming out with Brad Pitt. So it's kind of funny how... And that's two different studios, too, because Bullet Train, I believe, is a Sony picture. So it's funny how life works out. And in one of this movie... Now, so Sandra Bullock was born in 1964. So that then makes her uh, around 57 or so when she filmed this movie. So keep that in mind. 57. Still looks great for 57. Don't get me wrong. She looks fantastic for that. But in contrast to that, Channing Tatum is not... He's not as old as he... He was born back in 1980. So we're talking... A pretty big gap in age here between like 17 years, I think I calculated, between both people. And Hollywood does this a lot, Ramblers. You look at back at movies like ah, I think it was Witness. It was what a Clint Eastwood one too that he did and with Rene Russo. And and there's a huge age gap there. And it's like, okay, we're gonna make people who more than a decade apart in age are suddenly be romantically attracted to each other. When you think about it though, like 17 years, how are you even in the same place in life? Really? <laughs> but that's, I would love doing this older actor, 
with younger actor. Usually it's older dude and younger woman. Bye, switch it up here. But even with that, though, the chemistry between these two works really well. I mean, there's some really good comedic moments throughout this movie. And it, it's kind of, and I, they definitely could do a sequel to this. And it's funny, too, when it comes to Channing Tatum, because his career has kind of cooled off a little bit, too. You know, he had those G.I. Joe movies, which even in the second one, he is part was barely there. We've talked about that. Uh, and, and the last kind of big stuff he's done, really, in the last few years, he had the Lego movie, uh, second part in 2019. Then he had America, the motion picture, which he was just a voice. Then he had Free Guy in 2021, which is a good movie. I liked him in that. And then the, the did a couple of episodes in The After Party. And then he did the movie Dog, which I've not seen. And then coming up after Lost City, he's in Magic Mike's Last Dance. So he's resurrecting the Magic Mike character because, you know, Hollywood, redo things. And then he has Project Artemis coming up and Wingman. So he's going back to more of the action roots, but he didn't even... His career. These both actors are trying to kind of restart their careers again, for lack of a better term. And and some of the 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 this movie is really gorgeous, by the way, on 4K. I mean, it really upscales nice, and you can tell they shot a lot of this on location. Four extras, not bad for single disc release. With this, you get deleted scenes, which I just. And and I can see why some of them got a bit cut for time wise. Bloopers, because bloopers are always funny. In addition to that, you also you also have uh, these Preacher of Time duo, which is just looking at Sandra and Channing and how they work together. Location profile, this is where they talk about the, the trip down to Dominion Republic and shooting on location. And a lot of it was done in location with a lot of rain and mosquitoes. Oh, there's a sea with leeches that if you're squeamish... Yeah. Uh, there's also a featurette on Jungle Rescue, so how they set up a lot of the stunts. And there's some pretty good stunt work in this movie. There's some really good chase sequences and some stuff with motorcycles. That is nuts. Uh, then it's the jumpsuit. <laughs> a featurette on the, the actual purple jumpsuit itself. Then you have a... Um, uh, uh, this weird little featurette called... Uh, Char Katuri, which is a breakdown of Loretta's kidnapping scene and what it would like, what wh what it's like to come under attack from a giant Chotari. I don't even seen that board, so you can, you'll, you'll <laughs> uh, you, you can take that on, and then the Villains of Lost City, where it show talks about. Um, Radcliffe his character and the henchman that he employed. And then you also get just building Lost City, which is look at the the the, the world building, which which went on this. And I gotta give points too to um Daniel Radcliffe with a beard and and a really over-the-top accent. He works as a villain in this. <laughs> I almost went, wait a minute, uh, it's Daniel Radcliffe. So good for him and trying to kind of break out of the whole Potter thing. He's been doing a lot more of that lately, trying to, like, you know, I'm not, I'm more just a reporter. Overall, a, a fun kind of duo comedy. There are some genuine funny bits and some, you know, somewhat touching ones in And the chemistry between those two is really, it really works. Uh, and, and they really play off each other well. 
And and that that does always work sometimes. You put two actors on the scene, but they don't always work. And then there's one scene with the the three of them, uh, those two and Brad Pitt. And you look at this scene, you're thinking, wow, maybe they must have used stunt people for that. And then you watch behind the scenes involving a wheelbarrow, and you're like, man, they actually didn't use stunt people for that scene. It's like, jeez, that's taking a huge chance. But but yeah, you would have noticed if you were seen just shot from the distance and not the actual actors' faces. Overall, a fun movie. It, it is is completely, you know, it's it's a nice, not a lot of swearing, but lots of good action sequences, and and a, and a nice, little fun kind of rom com adventure movie, which we don't see a lot of these days uh, when it comes to that. That is my take of The Lost City on Blu-ray, courtesy of the great folks at Paramount Pictures Home Entertainment. Show here I review for this episode is Batwoman, the third and final season, courtesy of Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. Warner Brothers Home Entertainment sent me a copy of this release to review on this podcast. The opinions I express are my own. 
Now, this is the third and final season of Batwoman because um, it was announced earlier in this year, of course, that this show, along with Legends of Tomorrow, got canceled. It did not get renewed for another season. And not too surprising considering the failing ratings of this show. I mean, it just was not getting the audience that it was. Now, I've talked about the first two seasons on this very program, and I've told you my opinion of it. So, and, 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 I've, and I've said from the start that this show, it, it, it's, it's more, it, it, if it wasn't for the supporting cast, it, it, would, it would lose a lot of its appeal. The plot-wise picks up from the end of the second season, and the main kind of focus of all the stories in this very shortened third season is that various weapons from the trophy case of Batman in the Batcave, due to, you know, events in the second season, have gotten loose and floated away into Gotham Harbor and are being picked up by all these people. So all these, all these weapons and items that Batman has carefully put away and tried to keep out of villain's hands, these idiots and Team Batwoman have released them into the wilds, and now they got to do cleanup duty to try to get them all back. <laughs> More covering up from their blunders, if you will. And this season too, we get an interesting revelation that the character of Batwoman that, that she gets that of, of Ryan, that really it, it changes things in a way when it comes to uh, her, what she thought reality was and has it initially spin on her relationship with the character of Alice, which I maintain to this day, Alice over these three seasons was the best character in Batwoman. If you look at her character development from season one, right to the end of season two, that character, in my opinion, showed the most growth, growth, and was the most interesting character to watch throughout the second season, throughout the whole run of the show. Because, you know, I, I just like how the actress did it. I, I think Rachel Scarston does Psycho really well. And I find found her the, my favorite part of the show. Because Ryan, ugh. The, the, the mistakes this team does throughout the three-season run, Lord mighty, it's not, you know, you think as the show starts, right? It's not bad enough that Kate Kane took the bat suit and said, you know what, I'm just going to completely change it and, and, and make it work for me. That, you know, that was bad enough. <laughs> uh, Ryan Wilder takes, takes uh, making Bruce's life hell even further. Not only does she, throughout the course of the two seasons she's in, blab Bruce, I, Bruce's identity to bloody whomever is in the Batcave at the time. If I was Bruce, I would be ready to strangle this woman because she just blah, 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 blurts out that Bruce Wayne's Batman so many times with people that it's like, can you just shut up? Do you not know who is in the cave with you? And maybe this person is in the big secret. It's bad enough you just, you know, casually invite them into the cave, you know, because you can. But then you just, oh, just connect the dots for them. And they're like, wait a minute. 
I mean, his. You think of you think of a, a Batman. They, they do Batman a dirty here because at the start. You look back at the first season, right? Okay, who knew Batman's identity at the start of this show? All right, Alfred, of course. You know, and then Kate Kane, and then Lucius Fox. Okay, made these three people. Right, you and Luke, right? Because in association with fun, those four people knew the the dual identity. Not even Commissioner Gordon knew it. Oh, you probably had a really good inkling, but you don't want to ruin the record re re relationship. Knew that he was Batman. By the end of this third season, <laughs> an additional five or six people now know his his identity. Because at the end of the run, you have, yeah, like you count them. At least close to five or six people now know, in addition to those four, now know who he is. And it's out there. And did he have a say in this getting released? Nope. So if he come, if he, the character ever came back to Gotham, one, he has to make himself a new suit because it's been ruinated. Two, he then has to realize that all these extra people know who he is that he didn't know before. And like, man. Yeesh. It gets crazy. This season, we do get introduced to some new characters uh, in, in the universe. You, uh, Robin, Robin Givens gets a character in this as Jada Jet. Uh, and it's nice to see her acting. She has done TV like a long time, and, and she plays intensity really well. You also get uh, Renee Montoya makes it to the show. And, and in this season, she has uh, a relationship with Poison Ivy. Now, I don't know if that was ever established in the comics. I don't think it was, but yeah. Uh, her and Pam were a thing, apparently. At one time. And this plays heavily in this third season because uh, the, the the Bat team not only had to work with Alice because at the start of the season, the, you know, it's like, well, you know, probably the best way to catch all these weapons is to work with somebody who, you know, is a super crazy criminal. So, so, <laughs> to work with Alice. But then Renee is in charge of uh, of a task force that's specifically for rogue villains. And so she gets brought in to help them track down all these trophies that are floating around Gotham. And, and it's an interesting interpretation to Renee Montoya. I, I'm kind of like, all right, uh, you know, I, I see where you're going with that, but uh, I don't know if I totally like it. Uh, with it. In a lot of ways, they make her look weak. And I never thought she would ever be weak. Uh, there are some Departy members. Uh, there are characters like, like uh, Christina Wolfe, who played Julia Pennyworth. <laughs> Gone. She does not come back for a third season. Also, uh, the the character of of uh, Jack uh, Jacob Kane, who was a big part of the first two seasons of the show, he is out of there. Duggery Scott, although they talk about the character and he is a main part of what's going on with Alice, 
gone from the show. And that's, that's a shame. I mean, I, I always liked him. I, I feel like Mary, when Nicole Kang, she gets a much bigger role. Sophie, played by Megan Tandy, gets a much bigger role in this. And it, it, it really becomes almost a different type of show. And it's funny with the character, uh, I, I think, of, of Mary. Because throughout the first two seasons, she's pretty much uh, used as, as, you know, the characters just walk over her, use her, yada, yada, yada. And they really don't care. <laughs> they treat her really badly. And it really comes to fruition later. There's a transformation that Mary goes through. And again, it's it's kind of like, Oh, how about we gender race swap a character and see how that works? <laughs> and it, and I married this pull it off well, but I'm glad to say she's the only version of the character that shows up. Although the one that does, you know, I still don't think they treat her that well. Uh, overall, uh, the, the and the other kind of the the hero's journey part of this season is the character of Luke Fox, played by Camrys Johnson, who becomes Batwing in this season. And it's a pretty nice suit, although he does kind of still play sidekick to Batwoman, and she just it's like, no, you're not my own, your own hero, you're a bloody sidekick. And there's a whole season arc of him, this hero's journey, and, and even in the featurette that they have, hero's journey, they kind of spell it out, okay, here's Here's the model we went through with with Luke for Batwing. We sort of kind of follow this model with Ryan, but we make him go through a lot more. And so that, again, one of the more likable characters in this season. I Again, I, I like him. I would, you know, hey, just do a Batwing show and just leave the other people out of it, and that'd be a much better show. Just saying. So that is it. The... Now, they, when this show was canceled, they were thinking it was going to be a fourth season, right? But, nah. And so when they, when they wrote this season, it's funny. I, I'm assuming they were thinking they were going to get a fourth, right? Because the way that the season ends, it's odd. I'm not spoiling things. At one point at the end of that last episode, it, it goes to a certain point of thinking like, wow, you know what? even though they thought they were getting the fourth, if you just had ended the show at that scene and not done a little extra bit, that could have been a nice little bookend for the for the series. But no, 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 no. At the end of that scene with the Bat team, you then have a little, it's so short, little tag thing thrown in that hints to what... A fourth season would have could have been, but we're never going to see that <laughs> fourth season. So that's kind of what happens there. So it, it it's it's an odd it's an odd thing. It, you tell me, Ramblers, but to me, if they, if they just maybe they didn't couldn't cut it out before the show actually, but they got the the cancellation. But if you just took that little bit out. And you left it with just that last scene, team of the season of Team Batwoman, then you could leave the show there, and it wasn't a bad spot to leave it at. But who knows what they had planned for the fourth season? <laughs> I, I, it, it's it's such a quick hint. I have no 
they were going with that. The other kind of interesting plot uh, add to this is you get the 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 character of Marcus Jet, played by Nick Cregan. And they go with him. They, they again try to do another race swap of another iconic Batman villain. I won't say who it is. I'll let you watch it. But it's like, really? You know, can we just, can we just stop? CW is so bad with this. It's nuts. And wait till I talk about Legends of Tomorrow. That's for another show. But <laughs> it's like, and he plays that version of the character well to a certain extent, but why did you have to go there? I see what you're trying to do, but I don't know. Pushing edges. Overall, it is what it is. Besides Batwing Hero's Journey, you do get deleted scenes, which are very short. And you get a gag reel, which is always fun to watch. It's a shame. Maybe they just didn't have time to put one together before they got canceled. Uh, things that are missing from this set, I would have liked to have heard some uh, you know, commentary on the first and especially the last episode of the season. That would have been cool. And maybe a featurette on just a season slash show retrospective bit. But... At least something similar to what they did with Supergirl. Just to wrap things up. Because, you know... You know, that's what you should be getting. Now, there is rumor... Oy, there's lots of rumor... That uh, that because this, The Flash has gotten the ninth season... Although it's going to be shortened... Maybe people are saying... Hey, you know... With this ninth season of The Flash... Why don't you wrap up some loose ends with Batwoman... And with Legends of Tomorrow. Now, Legends of Tomorrow, oi, has a lot of loose ends in that end of that seventh season. I won't go into it now. Wait till that show comes out in video. Then I'll talk about that in fully. So, yeah, they could do that. And with Batwoman, I mean, there is that little cut scene, but I don't know how much of a loose end that really is for it. You could just say, you know, the Bat team are just off doing bad adventures. And, and when those two shows were canceled, there was talk like, oh, you know, with the season nine of The Flash, you could take these loose end bits, somehow work them into season nine of Flash and give the Arrowverse one big fine finale. Because as far as I know, as this stands, because I've heard things about season two of Superman and Lois, when The Flash ends, that will be, from what I can tell, the last Arrowverse show standing. So I would think you'd want to have a nice send-off for all the other previous shows that came before it. We'll see. Uh, there, there's indications, uh, and I haven't watched the end of Season 2 of Superman Lois to confirm this yet, that they might have done something in the last episode of Superman Lois Season 2 to, let's say, change things up a bit. So... The Arrowverse could die, but they could still use characters. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see and see. But we'll see how that goes. Overall, that woman is what it is. It suffered from, you know, the the the, the main cast member quitting after one season. And just 
becoming too woke for its own good, trying to do representation and trying to do all this stuff and not worrying about just telling a good story and leaving it at that. <laughs> I mean, it, it, why is that so hard? Uh, but uh, overall, uh, hands down, the best characters for the whole run to me were were Rachel Scarston as Alice. I would watch her in another show any day of the week, especially if she played somebody who was a little bit crazy. And 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 Camrus Johnson as Luke Fox. I I think those two are the standouts. Any other cast members? If they're another show, it's not giving me a huge incentive to go, yeah, I need to catch that show because I liked them so much in Batwoman. But it is what is it's an interesting take on the Bat universe. So that is my take of Batwoman, the third and final season on Blu-ray, courtesy of the great folks at Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. <laughs>
4K animated Blu-ray movie review for this episode is The Bad Guys, courtesy of Universal Pictures Home Entertainment. Now, this is a, a, a an interesting motion picture, and, and for once, I like that it's a fresh new story. You know, I see things getting retread and retread all the time, and I like something new. And this movie, thankfully, delivers on that. The story revolves around these these villains who are, are, are animals that normally, you know, people go like, oh, that's a scary animal. And it's, it's kind of like a, a heist movie, kind of like um, Ocean's Eleven animated. But the villains in this time around are, are the characters of Mr. Wolf, Mr. Shark, Mr. Snake, Mr. Piranha, and Ms. Tarantula. And they are these, these just local thieves that anamorphic animals that have just been pulling off heist after heist after heist after heist. And like most thieves in any kind of movie, they got to go for that one thing. They, they, they just go for greedy. And that ends up kind of putting them in a tight spot where they then now have to prove they're the good guys so they can stay the bad guys. In this movie, Sam Rockwell plays Mr. Wolf. Mark Maron plays Mr. Snake. Aquafina, who, boy, she's just so much animated stuff these days, is Ms. Tarantula. Greg Robinson is Mr. Shark. Anthony Ramos is Mr. Piranha. And and, the, and so those are your main kind of villains. The, and this is a weird kind of town. And now these are based on a bunch of books, which I don't have kids. I can't really say, oh, I read these books to my kids. Uh, but it's based on this weird town where anamorphic animals that stand upright and talk socialize with humans and nobody has a problem with it. In this magical universe, they all get along and and nobody is like, whoa, look, walkie-talking upright animals. It's just a thing. And, and in this movie, another kind of um, big character is the police chief of Misty Luggins. <laughs> This large, oversized female, uh, played by Alex Bornstein. And she's, the, the comedy they do, the, I like the animation style in this movie. It's not one that I've seen before. And with me, some animation styles work and some don't. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, you know, Ramblers, that a few years ago, I talked about the Spider-Verse movie, right? Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> and that movie had multiple types of different animation. They kept changing it all the time. And I it was like, oh boy. And a lot of times watching that movie, although when he says need to watch it on the 4K, I found the the the, the constant changing of styles. And at one point some of them were just like so glaring it was hard to watch the movie. Thankfully in this movie it is stylistic, but to keep the one style throughout the whole movie and that works for me. And on 4K, I'm going to tell you guys, looks gorgeous. Animation these days, especially high def, is absolutely beautiful. It's, it's as good as I'd ever, I'd probably see it in the theater, really. The music in this is really fun, too. It's, it's very much a heist movie. It's like you take, I said, like a Ocean's Eleven, and then you, you make it animated. <laughs> Even, like, refer to to characters like oh he's gonna pull the Clooney on her and has a lot of good humor to it and, and a lot of twists and turns and a fun story I like I said it something that's new for bloody well once 
uh, when it comes to that. And, and, and you get some really significant character development in it too. And the other kind of, um, I guess, voice in this one is uh, Zazie Beats, who plays Diane Foxington, which is the kind of local I don't know, official official who is trying to bring down this gang. But more about her is revealed as the story goes on. I, know, I, said, I like the style, the, the music. It works really well together. And there's a see that the way they do it, it's a genuine friendship between these kind of guys. And it's the old thing of can a, can, can a leopard really change its spots? I guess it's the, the voice to it. It's very stylistic. For extras in this, not bad. Yeah, you do get a bonus feature, which is an exclusive short called Maraschino Ruby, which is a um, cute little feature, little little extra. Yeah, when it when it comes to nothing like crazy, but nice to the little extra story with the characters. You get deleted scenes, you get uh, lots of makings of, and then the, the typical thing where you know for kids you can make yourself a frozen pop with it. You can you know put together the crew. You get to see a cast table read. I love cast table reads because they're always fun to watch. And from the drawing rooms, you get to how can you draw a character? So that's good for kids. I always kind of speed through those uh, when it comes to that. So a lot of extras. You do get commentary on this as well, which I find a lot of fun. So a good set of extras. And then the extras are only, uh, yeah, I think they're on both. And with this one, you get both the 4K, the regular Blu-ray, and the digital code with this. So that really is your best bet with this. No DVD. If you want to get DVD, you got to go the other route. But honestly, if you want the best picture, definitely go the 4K version of the uh, collector's edition with the bad guys for sure. When it comes to that. Overall, if you're a fan of like heist movies and, and you want to see something like a heist movie animated, it is a, it is a fun film. God, I like really get into the characters. I liked the animation style and in, 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 it's like a villain who doesn't necessarily play. You, you watch this and you're like, who is the real bad guy? And there's some crazy, like vehicle chase sequences in this, in this film too. And in, in the, the character of professor marmalade by Brian Richard, AO8, he really hands it up. <laughs> it's, it's so weird to see. At one point, there's this mass of hamsters. You're like, I don't think I've ever seen that many digital hamsters on the screen ever before. So, there you go. That is my take of The Bad Guys, the collector's edition on 4K Blu-ray, courtesy of the great folks at Universal Pictures Home Entertainment. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of the show. Hope you all enjoyed it. As always, you can touch me with a number of ways. You can always check me out on Twitter. I'm at Rambling Russ, at R-A-M-B-L-I-N-G-R-U-S-S. Tweet me, I'll tweet you back. I appreciate y'all. Appreciate all the retweets and likes on Twitter. Thank you very much. If you follow me, I will follow you on Twitter. <laughs> and look for all kind of updates on Twitter, any kind of cover art that I have, anything that I review, I slap it on Twitter. 
and I hope you follow me there. As always, you can check out new episodes right here on the TalkShoe Network. I'm caller ID 18411. That's all new episodes right here on TalkShoe. And as I said in the previous episode, if you hear when you play an episode, a 30-second commercial for some real estate guy here in the Niagara region or some foreign language of spouting out for 30 seconds, don't worry, it's still my show. Just skip a little ahead. And you'll hear the start of my theme music, and you know you're in, into the show proper. Just as a heads up there. Uh, you can check all new episodes from you know, 2013, 2000, down when, when I. Uh, to, to today, any kind of blast to the past, any kind of my older shows from 2016, 2013, then I switched over to Talk Show. You can check out my original home on the internet at Libsyn. That's HTTP, full colon, backslash, backslash, rambling rust. Libsyn.com. I have original home internet where I have all my older shows. No commercials on the start of those shows. You can check them out there. And new shows, of course, you can check out on Spotify and Google Play and many other directories across the World Wide Web. Older shows, you can check out again Libsyn and on the iTunes and the podcast. Just type around with Russell, you'll find it there. And other podcast directories across the World Wide Web. Coming up on future episodes of the show, I hopefully we're getting my hands soon on Downton Abbey, a new era on 4K Blu-ray, at least on Blu-ray, coming out to me on the very near future, as well as I will continue my catch-up of the final seasons of a lot of the CW shows, and that will be DC Legends of Tomorrow, the complete seventh and final season on Blu-ray. That is coming up in a future program. Uh, and that's some stuff to look forward to in a future show. As well as a few other uh, releases uh, on the docket for me. So that's going to wrap it up for me. I'm still looking for a winner for uh, two free copies of The Bad Guys on Blu-ray for any Canadian residents. If you send me the answers, tweet me the answers to those questions. Uh, and you live in Canada and I, and I, so tweet me and then follow me and then, uh, so tweet out the answer if it's correct and follow me I, and I can DM you, I will send you a message and confirm your address and then we can get out a copy to you courtesy of great folks at Universal. Still hoping as well to give out two copies to us, to the for uh, Downton Abbey. I need to confirm who is eligible for that. More likely to be Canadian residents, but I'll, if you look for a confirmation of that, look for it on the Twitter page. And that, hopefully we'll be able to do that for you guys as well. Because I like to keep doing the giveaways, man. You guys got to take advantage of them. I only got to get them every once in a while. So I want to give back to you, my fine listenership, and a way you can contribute to the show. As always, my Amazon wish list is still up there. Anything on the wish list that you put on you 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 purchase goes directly to the show and will be reviewed on the show. So this is the way you can control the narrative and control what I review. I have a lot of things up there I've been considering reviewing. And if you throw them, if you make a purchase and fill out that wish list item, I'll review it on the show. If you want to remain anonymous, you can remain anonymous. But if you don't, I will gladly credit you for that review. And I try to keep it updated regularly. Lots of different prices there. So spend however you can, but it's a way to contribute back to the show. I don't go on Discord. I don't do, you know, I don't do super chats. I don't do any of that kind of money stuff. I don't ask for money to keep the show going. But, you know, if you can help out that way, that'd be great. 
and any links for the Amazon wish list, you can see them on my Twitter feed as well. They're in the show notes for each show. Just copy and paste link into your web browser and you'll be right there. That is it for me. And we'll catch you next time right here on Ramble the Russell. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.